Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Let's begin by saying, man, it feels so good to win. It does. It feels so good to win, and especially when we beat Ole Miss. It's great. Now, it's become commonplace in many respects that we beat them on a baseball diamond, but that does not diminish the fact that it feels so great to win. It does. What an amazing Super Bulldog weekend. Thanks to all of you that came out and made Super Bulldog weekend so special, so historic. Huge, huge crowds. We expected that. Maybe we didn't get the record crowd that maybe we were expecting. We did get the record, but I don't know. But, um, yeah, maybe it should have been a little bit bigger. And there were some people that were waiting outside that didn't care about the baseball game but just came for the show. That's okay. We appreciate your contribution to Mississippi State sports. Pretty awesome stuff. Amazing. Really, really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, looking at the numbers here, too, 43,986 people, an all-time weekend regular season attendance record at Mississippi State. Man, that's big stuff right there. Nearly 44,000 of you turned out to come watch the Bulldogs beat the Rebels. And a great weekend. We won a spring game, too. We did. You said, Steve, you won a spring game. Yeah, we didn't get anybody hurt, and that's confirmed. No major injuries in the spring game, and, uh, yeah, a good time was had by all. But uh, so many of you came. It was such a great time. The weather was good. It was just, you know, it's not just a fact that we won. It's the fact, again, and I've said this throughout the season. I've shared this with other people in college baseball media. Our fans have not given up. There are a few of us, you know, at times, like, ah, this is it, you know. But our fans are still supporting Mississippi State baseball. Matter of fact, 16,423 people. Turned out to set a new record, nearly eclipsing the previous mark by 1,000 fans. Nearly. And so kind of run it down here for you. 16,423 is your new record, which surpasses 15,586. That dates back to 14. We won that game. Uh, Texas A&M in 16. That was Super Bulldog weekend. Texas A&M came in here and swept us. We ended up winning the SEC championship that year. 15,078. The number that is in, imprinted in my mind forever and a day is 14,991. It was a doubleheader against Florida back in 89, and Mississippi State won the SEC championship that year too. So basically, as we discussed before, the NCAA record book for all-time on-campus attendance is the Mississippi State attendance book. And uh, you guys are amazing. You are. You're absolutely amazing. And, again, you got to see a great weekend. And I'll tell you this, considering the seasons that State and Ole Miss have had this year, and, listen, they love baseball, too. They may not they may not love it exactly as much as we do. But, listen, you can't knock what Ole Miss has done under Mike Bianco. I know that uh, last year kind of feels like the anomaly. They've been turning in the wrong direction. But they won an AFL championship. 
And yes, this was a battle of two teams at the bottom of the standings. But we saw three great baseball games. No matter who you're cheering for, you had something to feel good about over the weekend. Of course, State wins two games to one and a swing away from sweeping. But the reality of it is the quality of play this weekend was outstanding, by and large. A couple things here and there, and we'll get to that. But the bottom line is we win, uh, they lose, and State obviously has improved their standing and hopes for making it to Hoover. And we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, and it's so hard not to. You won back-to-back series, and you say, well, Steve, we should expect that. We've won seven in a row against Alabama, seven in a row against Ole Miss. It's true, but with such a dreadful start this year, we've had a lot of ground to make up. We still have a lot to make up. Guys, five SEC wins hadn't clinched anything other than the fact it's given us a little bit of margin over some of the teams behind us in the standings. we got to keep it going. We'll get to the SEC standings a little bit later in the show. But uh, I want to tell you guys, too, that uh, – I want, to th- I want to thank everybody. Uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Jones. Many of you in central Mississippi know Brian. Brian, the former lead singer of Lily Knox. And uh, Brian has a remarkable story. Kind of gave up the rock and roll lifestyle to be a dad and take care of his girls. And uh, Brian was playing at Hobie's and uh, talked me into getting up on stage with him. I sang backup vocals on the Lily Knox classic, Nobody Knows. We were kind of unprepared. Only had the one microphone, so I had to share that. I had to sing a lot louder, and I had to lean over uh, with the chorus. But uh, no prep, no warm-up. Just got up there with my friend and sang a song that means an awful lot to me. And I appreciate all the the great response we got there at Hopi's. There were a lot of people really, really cool about that. And so we'll do that again. Brian and I have got some other projects you're working on. I've got some things I'm working on with with Fred, the homie Fred, with Storage 24. So uh, don't be surprised. If you see your good friend and host associated with some good rock music here uh, in the weeks and months to come. All right, Bulldog Burger Company. I was there twice last week and had a great time both times. Now, let me go ahead and make you guys aware of this. I had never tried uh, the Mississippi Barbecue Burger until Saturday. And it is well above, well above what I expected. It is absolutely outstanding. It's something about the sauce. I don't know how what they're putting in that sauce, but there's something special about that. If you are a Bulldog Burger regular and you have not tried the Mississippi Barbecue Burger, let me encourage you to do that. Also had those uh, pork belly and uh, chorizo nachos, had that as the appetizer. Had the spring rolls earlier in the week, but I, I felt like uh, this weekend I, I looked good enough, so I ventured out a little bit and I had those. That's one of the things I love about Bulldog Burger Company. Not only is the consistency, is that when they do make a change to the menu, it's an upgrade. There are a lot of people out there that take your favorites off and don't replace it with anything of quality. Bulldog Burger Company, we talked about this a while back, making some changes. Your good friend and host is out there sampling for you. What a struggle that is, right? So go by and check it out yourself. I'm telling you, have that Mississippi barbecue burger. Have it. You're going to be thrilled. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I can't endorse it enough. Matter of fact, I'll probably be in there one day this week and have it again. I was thinking about going and getting it today. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Man, an outstanding place to go eat with friends and family, whether it's a business luncheon or just a, a night out of recreating. There's no better place than Bulldog Burger Company. And a full-service bar there, too. And they're not just beer tending. I mean, you can get uh, the mixed drink there as well. For sure. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's break this thing down. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
It is going to be a lot of fun here today. Going to be a fun, fun, fun show. I had people hit me up and see if I can't wait for the boneyard. I couldn't either. Got up this morning and wrote a story about Hunter Hines and the fact that uh, State continues to dominate this rivalry. That was fun to write. Postgame was good every night. Now, Friday was a little different. It was a little different. And uh, before we even get deep into this thing, you know, it's a thing I begin to think about. Every weekend, it seems, there's one game that we just have a train wreck type game. We just kind of, you know, crap to bed, as they say. Right? There's been one almost every weekend. And we'll go back and look at that real quick here. VMI, opening weekend. Game two, we blow that huge lead and lose 14-13. And sadly, Nate Dome saddled with the loss, despite the fact he pitched his tail off. But there you go. There's your train wreck game. Uh, we had the train wreck game against Louisiana Monroe in the midweek. We get in a weekend, the Friday game against Arizona State, 13-4. We win the last two, but a train wreck nonetheless. Had a bit of a train wreck game against Southern Miss. Found a way to overcome all those walks and win that ball game. Train wreck game against Oklahoma in many respects, even though offensively we played pretty well. Lipscomb, we nearly lose uh, first game of the doubleheader, but um, didn't give up many runs, and you don't expect Lipscomb to make a game competitive. Uh, Lexington, we get beat 12-3, and then we get 10-run ruled, 17-3, train wreck. Vanderbilt beats us 26-3, train wreck, 18-5, train wreck. And in Vanderbilt, that Sunday game, we had a chance to win that, and we blew that. South Carolina, we should have won the Friday game. We don't. We went on Saturday. We wrecked their train, and then we turn around on uh, Saturday, have a chance to make that game competitive, and we had that blow-up nine-run ninth train wreck. We go to Alabama, win game one, Saturday, 10-run rule, train wreck. And then we get to Ole Miss this weekend. So we avoid the big train wreck game for the first time since the Lipscomb series. And let's be honest, Ole Miss is a much more talented team than Lipscomb. But, um, man, pitching was outstanding, with rare exception. Pitching, by and large, the best weekend of the month. And perhaps a season. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we're starting to kind of round in the shape, figure out who we can trust. And there was a guy on Gene's page. I wish I would give you credit if I could remember the name. I remember this guy. He made a comment, and I laughed when he said it. I said, you know what? He's probably right. We talked about how bad the ERA was for both of these teams. And he goes, I guarantee it's going to be three pitching duels. And you know what? It was. How about that? That's the thing about baseball. All right, let's jump into this Friday game. And unfortunately, we lose this game. But uh, it was pitched well, by and large. We had we scattered some hits there. Rebels have 12 hits. But we kind of pitched ourselves out of trouble and, and eventually ran into some, some situational baseball that went the wrong way there in the ninth inning. But let's get started here. And uh, re- really good start for here from Kate Smith. And uh, what a huge piece he is for us. Getting him back changes a lot. Getting Aaron Nixon back changes a lot. All right, Ethan Groff strikes out swinging. Gonzalez strikes out swinging. And then Harris singles down uh, the first baseline there. Alderman doubles to left center. So right away, we're already in, in, in difficult waters here. We get the first two guys out easy. And all of a sudden, they got runners at uh, second and third in scoring position with two outs. But we get a ground out to short. Navigate through that without surrendering any runs. Bottom of one, Larry is hit by the pitch. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. They're not ready. Jack Doherty's not ready. And uh, give Jack Doherty credit. Uh, credit. I've been uh, 
I've been a doubter of his throughout his career. I think he's really been overhyped. But, man, he was outstanding Friday against your Mississippi State Bulldogs. And kind of an auspicious start here. He hits Larry. And I'm thinking, here we go. He's going to blow up. But instead, he rolls up a ground ball from Colton Ledbetter. And then Hines strikes out swinging. So they navigate through that without any issue at all. I mean, just a pitch that got away from him. It was not a harbinger of things to come, again, because Jack Doherty was outstanding. All right. Um, Ledge grounds out the short for the Rebels to open the second. Furnace and singles back up the middle. That's the son of former LSU great Eddie Furnace, in case you were wondering. Uh, Peyton Chadier, and that's one of the things I got tired of hearing all weekend. And, and I'm, I'm going to fuss about this, and I don't care whose feelings it hurts. I don't care who gets mad about it. I don't care if you send a DM or an email or you complain to the university. I don't care. The section in front of the press box always has other people's fans there. That is wrong. That is premium seating that should be reserved for our fans only. Period. It shouldn't even be an option. How many Bulldogs are on the waiting list to get chairbacks? How many people have given thousands of dollars to Mississippi State baseball to get chairbacks, and they have to go get a standing room only ticket so rival fans can sit in the premium seating? That's wrong. And when I get a chance to sit down with some people of influence, I'm going to tell them, and you know what? It may be some donor's tickets, and maybe they're selling them. That, that we shouldn't be that, that money hungry. If that's what it takes, then we should tell this part, hey, if you're not going to sit in your seats and ensure that Bulldog fans are here, then we're not going to sell you all these tickets. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And I have had this rant on the show before. And, it's again, every SEC weekend, there's a lot more Ole Miss people there this week. And, and they were quiet for the most part. They were. But uh, all that said, I don't get it. We don't get treated that way. We go on the road. We don't. We don't get specialized seating. For our fans, it doesn't happen that way. We're Mississippi State. And I think about all of you that are on that wait list. You didn't, you didn't get a chance to sit in chairbacks. You didn't get a chance to sit and kind of relax in some premium seating so we could afford some other fans of other schools your seats. It's wrong, and I will not be convinced otherwise. I will die on this hill, period. It's wrong. And if I was running things, I can promise you this. There would be none of that. Ever. Ever. And it's like the thing that I think about all the time. Sometimes, like I used to say this when I worked for, uh, for Holly Myers Furniture. We need to be less concerned about what's happening on Wall Street and more concerned about what's happening on Main Street. And that's kind of how this situation is with me. It's like, oh, well, you know, n- n- no, there is no justification for making long life Mississippi State fans have to wait for a funeral to have the opportunity to get chair backs when we're going to just allot these big sections in premium seating for opposing fans. That is wrong, period. And whoever made that decision is making it for the wrong reasons. And if you want to call me and tell me explain, that's fine. But I'm going to keep harping on this until it's changed. It's absolutely wrong. All right. But the, one of the favorites of that group that sat in front of us, uh, Pate, Peyton Chatagnier, because it's so cute, right? Him and his 237 average. Uh, Peyton Chatagnier strikes out swinging, and then McCants flies out to left. At right, bottom of second, State goes one, two, three. Uh, Dakota Jordan flies out to right. Hancock rolls over the baseball again. We're back doing that again. 
ground out the first, and then Alford uh, grounds out the first too. So, but again, good give Doherty some credit here for getting sink on the ball and getting under some barrels and forcing us to kind of beat the ball on the ground. All right, top of third, Ole Miss gets on the board here. Groff grounds out to center, and then Jacob Gonzalez hammered the ball uh, to center field. The thing I love about Jacob Gonzalez is two things, really. Number one, he's leaving this year. But number two, he has such a smooth and effortless stroke. I mean, honestly, that kid is a dude, man. I mean, I know he plays at Ole Miss, and it's like you're supposed to hate those kids. That dude can play, man. That dude can play. And anything hit to the left side, you almost just assume it's an out. This kid is really, really good. Now, they, he hadn't beaten us, but he's earned a national championship up there, and he'll leave there a hero. But uh, I really like that kid's makeup. That kid's a big leaguer. Calvin Harris, who killed us on Friday, singles to center field. Ken Alderman fouls out the first, and then uh, Harris takes second on the pass ball. Calarco walks, and then Ledge flies out to center field. So just a one run there. And that's the thing when people talk about solo home runs don't get you beat, but it nearly did on Friday in many respects. All right, bottom of third, state goes one, two, three. Clark lines out to right. Heifel pops up to second. Forsyth strikes out swinging. Top of fourth, good rebound here by Cade. Uh, Furnace grounds out to first. Chardonnay strikes out swinging. McCants then grounds out to the pitcher. Bottom of four, state one, two, three again. Larry pops up to short. Ledbetter grounds out to short. Hines fouls out to second base. Not good. All right, top of five, we bring in Colby Holcomb who has been outstanding in SEC play, and he was again on Friday. We give up an infield single to, uh, to Ethan Groff here. Just really no play. My, my problem with this is we catch too much to play. It's an 0-2 count. It's just, we're getting too much to play there. Gonzalez flies out to right. Groff uh, is caught stealing. Slid across the bag. The throw was close. He was going to beat it their best base dealer, and then he goes across the bag and, and uh, we alertly tag him out. Calvin Harris walks, and then Alderman strikes out looking. So nothing doing for the Rebs there in the fifth outside of the uh, the single and, and uh, caught stealing. All right, bottom of five, State gets its first hit of the game, Dakota Jordan, and Doherty is basically a two-pitch pitcher. And DJ nearly hit a home run out on the very first pitch. He hit that ball a ton. It was just foul. And they go back to him, and on a 2-2 count, it's a home run left field. It's a tie ball game. And you got to think, if you're Ole Miss right here, and for Jack Doherty, it's like, man, I have pitched my tail off, and the game is tied? Right? Where's the offense? And, again, you give some credit for Cade Smith for matching Doherty pitch a pitch for a while. And then Holcomb comes in, does a good job too. Hancock flies out to left center, Offer grounds out to second, and then Clark strikes out looking. But it's a 1-1 ball game, so we're all even now through the middle innings. We get to the six. It's basically a – a nine-out fight here, or 12-out fight, excuse me. Uh, Calarco pops up to second. Ledge grounds out to short. Furnace flies out to left. One, two, three inning there uh, for Colby Holcomb. In the sixth, Heifel strikes out swinging. Forsyth grounds out to third. And then Imani Larry doubles to center field. Uh, they end up walking Ledbetter. So all of a sudden, Hines with a chance here to do some damage with the tying run in scoring position. The go-ahead run at first. And a chance to really extend yourself here, and it's a fly out to right field. Just got under it. Really nice play here by uh, McCants, if I remember correctly. We hit the baseball hard, just didn't get enough elevation on it. And the way that Hunter Hines hits him, you know how it is. He never gets cheated. Big opportunity there that we squander. That mattered later in the ballgame. All right, top of seven. Ole Miss's favorite player's name to say. Paid shot, yay, strikes out swinging. That was a familiar, familiar refrain. Uh, McCants singles to right field. 
with TJ, I'd say TJ's had a tough run. TJ got a ring, but TJ was a the guy they thought was going to be a 5 tool shortstop. It has not worked out. Uh, Grofton singles up the middle. McCants goes to third. Gonzalez pops up the short, and then Groff uh, takes second on a pass ball, and then Harris strikes out looking. That was big. That was a big, big pitch there. The breaking ball from Holcomb on a full count there. Takes some real stones to throw that, and he gets the punch. And that's the one when he did the James Brown split. It's still 1-1. All right, bottom of seventh, they bring in uh, Matthew Morrell, who was outstanding. And there's not a lot of variety in pitches with him. You know, he's just basically a slider guy all the way. And occasionally he'll pop a fastball in there. But uh, really good with that slider. and Gave us a lot of trouble. DJ grounds out to third. Hancock strikes out looking. And then Alford grounds out to second. Top of eight. Very first pitch. Alderman, who is the leading power hitter on that Ole Miss lineup, Hits a home run the opposite way. It's a big, strong kid there. Got the power to get it out of there. Uh, so two to one now. So both runs from the Rebels are both solo home runs. Uh, Calarco doubles down the right field line. Then Lez grounds out to third. Furnace strikes out swinging. Calarco ends up taking third there after, uh, on the wild pitch. And then, yeah, wouldn't you know it, Paige Chatier strikes out again to end the inning. So two one. Headed to the bottom of the eighth. State a chance to tie it here. Clark uh, pops out the short right. Run down by Chatney. Highfield strikes out swinging and Forsyth then lines out to center field. So we head to the ninth. Rebels up one. And you think, okay, we're going to flip the order here. We have a chance here in the ninth. McCants bunts against the shift. This was a strategical mistake by Mississippi State. Especially when you've got a guy like McCants. It's fleet of foot. And he has had a very difficult year. And give the kids some credit here for recognizing the situation and saying, hey, we could sure use an insurance run here. That's exactly what happens. They bunt against a shift. I understand shifting over with two strikes, you know, when the prob- the probability of a bunt is not existent. But it's an 0-1 count. We shift and he bunts. And listen, give the kid credit. Again, he's had a difficult year. But give him credit. This is a, That's a big-time play late in the ballgame for T.J. McCants. Uh, Grofton flies out to right. That's a non-productive out. You think, okay, we're good. Well, then McCann says, okay, they couldn't get me around. I'll just still take second. And he does. And then we get Gonzalez to strike out swinging. And you think we're going to navigate through this because Gonzalez is a guy that doesn't strike out much. I give him a lot of credit. I got puts the ball in play. And then Calvin Harris, big, big at bat here. It's a 2-2 count. And uh, he singles back up the middle. McCann scores with ease. Now it's a 3-1 ball game. It is. And, again, give T.J. McCants made this happen, period. He had to have Harris come through with a two-out base hit. But the threat is, doesn't even exist if McCants doesn't get the bunt down. Alderman then flies out to right field on the very first pitch. It's 3-1, but we go to the bottom of the ninth. Amani Larry pops up to second. Ledbetter flies out to center. You think this is going to be it. Then Hunter Hines with a solo bomb makes it a 3-2 game, which brings Dakota Jordan to the plate. He'd homered early in his ball game. You know that he is a guy that if he ever, uh, you know, puts his foot in the ground and lights one up, the chance is going to get out. We get ahead 2-0 and in the count, foul one back, take a strike. We work the count full, and then we strike out swinging on a slider. Dakota probably trying to do a little bit too much there. We spoke with him in postgame, and you've seen the comments, and he said, you know what, I want to be up there in those situations. Michael Jordan always wanted the ball. I want to be at the plate. Uh, words to that effect. And I felt bad for him, really did, because, you know, Dakota has had – it's been on a tear here the last couple of weeks. And you, you kind of, like all of you, when he walks to the plate, I'm thinking, you know what, we got a chance to steal this one. And we didn't. 
give Ole Miss pitching a lot of credit. That's a pitching staff much like ours. It's been, you know, fairly maligned this year. Uh, Mitch Morrell, I think I called him Matthew earlier. Mitch Morrell uh, gets the win. Holcomb tagged with the loss. But nobody pitched poorly in this game. We mentioned Jack Doherty. Jack Doherty, six innings pitched, two hits, one run. And that came on a solo home run. Four strikeouts, one walk. Did a really good job of getting soft contact. Uh, and then you know, Mitch Morrell, three innings allows just one hit, one run. That's a solo home run to Hines in the ninth. Didn't walk anybody. So Ole Miss pitching in game one walks one hitter. State just walks two. Cade Smith goes four innings, five hits, one run, one walk, four Ks. Colby Holcomb, three innings pitch, five hits, one run. And, of course, a huge punch out to get out of the damage there. And then Casey Hunt, uh, two innings pitch, two hits, one run, um, no walks, three Ks. So 10 Ks against just two punch against two walks, and you feel like we're doing okay here. But uh, give Ole Miss some credit. They kept putting the ball in play and having traffic on the bases. Just had a tough time getting those runs in. It stayed did a really good job. And so then the fear comes up, right? Because I've told people before, it's not the joy of winning that identifies your rival. It's the fear of losing. When the fear of losing eclipses the joy of winning, that's your rival. I don't care what the media guy says. I don't care what your fans say. The bottom line is that's what happened. And so all of a sudden we have dominated this series the last several years, and people are like, man, if we lose this series, if we lose this series, it's going to be terrible. And it would have been. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But give the Bulldogs credit. Come back on Saturday. Really entertaining game here, too. I mean, absolutely entertaining game from start to finish in many respects. All right, so uh, State, we put Landon Gartman out there, and uh, it's interesting. Lamona said he didn't really think about the crowds. He just thought, you know, this is our second-best guy. Give us a chance to get a W here. I do think it mattered. I, I think it mattered having guard out there. All right, so right out of the gate, Gart rolls up a ground ball, and Lane throws it away. Can't have that. And then uh, Gonzalez reaches on the fielder's choice here. We had a chance to turn two here, just couldn't quite get it done. Gonzalez pretty swift down the line there. Harris strikes out looking. Gonzalez then goes to second on a wild pitch, and Alderman strikes out swinging. So we get through this, but how many extra pitches did we have to throw? Should have been one pitch, one out. But instead, you know, we, we booted around. All right, Sega's one, two, three in the first. Mershon grounds out the short. Ledbetter strikes out swinging, and Hines strikes out swinging. And uh, Mershon, of course, uh, you know, out here making it happen. Uh, all right, so, and, and the Monty Larry didn't start this game. Uh, he had a headache, and so we put Mershon in at second and hit him leadoff. All right, top of second, uh, Calarco singles up the middle. Lege is out at first. 
It goes off the pitcher to the shortstop. Lane makes a nice play here. Furness and singles up the middle to chase in Calarco, makes it one to nothing. And then Chadnye, his lone highlight of the weekend, if I remember correctly, singles to left field. Furness goes to second. McCants then flies out. Then we have a, a ground ball to short that we booted. And uh, run scores. Ought, ought to be out of the inning here. Ought to be out of the inning. It's, we, we should have been out of the inning, down one nothing. But instead, it's 2 nothing. Then, then we walk. Gonzalez walks. And then Harris grounds out second. How many more pitches do we have to throw because we couldn't make this play? And listen, it wasn't just a routine play. It was a hard-hit ground ball. But it's a play you got to make. You're an SEC. Got to make that play. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Got to make the play. So not only did we give them the run there, we, we increased the workload on our pitcher. He had to face uh, two more hitters and get deep in both of those counts. All right, bottom of second. State ties the game up here. Uh, Jordan singles to first base. Just kind of a hot chop here. And uh, listen, I know the pitcher has the head start here. You're not going to beat DJ to the bag unless it's a routine play. If there's a, if there's a chopper or anything up there that's going on, you're not, you're not winning that race. Hancock then walks, and then Slate Offer reaches on a fielder's choice to shortstop. They uh, they force Hancock at second, but State has runners on the corners now, and you feel like, hey, with Kellum Clark coming up here, it, at the very least, let's put a ball in play, elevate something, give us an opportunity here to uh, to cut into this lead a little bit. And instead, Kellum absolutely hammered a ball in the right field corner. And so Offer goes to third, and Jordan scores, makes it 2-1. Heifel then uh, flies out of center field. Runner tags and scores. It's 2-2. And then Forsyth uh, flies out to right. So after two innings complete, it's 2-2. So good answer there for the Bulldogs, right? I mean, it could have been a bigger inning. But, hey, we manufactured some runs here, uh, put together a couple big hits, make them pay for a walk. That's what needs to happen. All right, top of three, really good bounce back here for Gart. You get a ground out to short from Alderman. Kalakar flies out to center, and Ledge flies out to center. So one, two, three inning, pretty efficient too. We didn't have to get deep in any of these counts. Needed a quick inning like that. Bottom of third, State goes one, two, three. Marshawn flies out to center, hit the baseball well. Just you know, a lot of times hit the ball right at somebody, even though we did have some big hits. But uh, Marshawn putting the ball in play, part of that Bulldog youth movement. Ledbetter lines out to right. Hines flies out right field line. Uh, just got under that one. So 2-2 going to the fourth. Furnace grounds out the second. Shot yay. Infield hit here. Thought we had him thrown out. Uh, we challenge. We don't. And then McCants flies out to center. Groff isn't hit by the pitch. So this is like a self-inflicted thing here for the guard. I mean, you get deep in the count. You get a full count. And you plunk him. And you bring up Gonzalez now with a runner in scoring position. Unfortunately, we were able to get a line shot right at Mershon. So we get out of it. Kind of navigated through that one with a little bit of uh, kind of an atom ball, but uh, some self-inflicted wounds here. But the, nevertheless, Ole Miss doesn't score. Stay goes one, two, three here in the fourth. Jordan flies out the right. Hancock grounds out the second. Offered strikes out swinging. Top of five, we bring in Graham Einzema for Gardman. And uh, before the inning is over, we've, we've surrendered the lead. Harris grounds out the short. Alderman grounds out the short. And you feel pretty good about it, right? Now you've got lefty-lefty up there. Should be a matchup that's favorable to us. We get down an account 3-1, and then Calarco takes one the opposite way to put him up 3-2. Then Ledge grounds out to third. So the Bulldogs have given up the lead here. Bottom of five, State goes 1-2-3 again. 
Clark strikes out swinging. Heifel flies out to center. Lane Forsyth strikes out swinging. Tough weekend at the plate for Lane and in the field. It's not a good weekend for Lane. Uh, not giving up on him by any stretch of the imagination. But the bottom line is he, he, he probably needs to sit a little bit. And he did on Sunday. All right, top of six. They pinch hit for Furnace here. And then Burford grounds out to short. Chatagnier flies out to right after a lengthy at bat. And then McCants rips off a big triple right center here. You think, okay, that doesn't hurt us if we can get an out. Well, we couldn't. So, Groff singles. It's an infield hit. And then we throw the ball away, which allows him to come around to second. And then Gonzalez doubles down the line, and the other run is in, makes it 5-2. We get Harris to strike out swinging. But, again, it's two outs here. And, listen, baseball's baseball, right? I mean, you know, it's not just about what you do. The other guys get a, get a say in things, too. But when you give up that triple, you got to be able to bounce back and get a nonproductive out. And you get the ground ball there, and we just aren't able to make the play. And as a result, instead of it being a 3-2 ball game, by the time we get the dugout, we're down three. Now it's 5-2. And right now, all of you are thinking, like me, I think we're in trouble. All right, Michonne grounds out to third, and then Ledbetter hits a home run to right center. And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of optimism, right? It's like, okay, all right, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then Hunter Hunt says, you don't know how good you are, because he hammered a home run down the right field line. So back-to-back jacks for the Bulldogs makes it 5-4. to four. Mike Bianco comes out to review that. This was all a stalling tactic. Everybody in the stadium, and I submit to you, including Ole Miss, maybe with the exception of Peyton Schott, and yeah, he's rooting that ball foul. Guys, that ball, you could see how the fans reacted. It's probably 10, 15 feet inside the line, but it was so high. Uh, this, was, this was a little gamesmanship, and I think part of it, too, it's Bianco trying to slow the game down a little bit because at this point we kind of had him on the ropes. It also gave some time for Braden Jones to get a little bit warmer. And then Xavier Rivas, who's been really good for Ole Miss. I think I shared with you guys in eight weekends, they were 6-2 and two on Saturday games. So they ended up being 6-3 and three after this one. As they bring in Braden Jones, he's been really good for them out of the pin. Uh, Jordan grounds out to second. Hancock's and hit by the pitch. Alford singles up the middle, which chases Hancock to third. You got a chance to tie it here. And Kellum Clark strikes out swinging. But uh, nevertheless, two home runs in the inning. Now it's a one-run game, and as bad as we felt at the top of this inning, excuse me, the top of this at bat, felt even that much better at the end. All right, top of six, we bring in Aaron Nixon in place of Eintema. Alderman strikes out swinging. Calarco strikes out looking. And then Ledge flies out to center field. So we're holding the game in place. And when we needed a clean inning, how many times this year have we gone out and scored and crept back into it, and then we go out there and gift them some runs? Heifel strikes out swinging to open up the bottom of seven. Connor Heizek pinch hits for Lane and grounds out to third. Marshawn then doubles to right center. Really nice job of hitting. And then Colton Ledbetter. Lengthy at bat, goes down, golfs one out, gives State a 6-5 lead. Colton Ledbetter is a dude, man. I can only begin to imagine, what if that kid had been here for two years? Like, what if we had him next year? What if we had him last year, right? Just incredible, man. And, it, and he fits, man. Colton Ledbetter fits Mississippi State. All right, and Hines strikes out swinging. But, uh, again, now State with the lead here. You know, courtesy of the long ball. We talked at the beginning of the year. We felt like this was going to be a very offensive lineup. We thought we'd have some power. You're really starting to see that. Now in the SEC play. Halfway home. We're hitting SEC pitching all over the yard. All right, top of eight. State with the lead here. We bring in Nate Dome in place of Nixon. 
And I felt that was absolutely the right move. It's like I think Nate's going to get a six out, so we're going to get out of this thing. We'll win this game, you know, 6-5, 7-5, something like that. Uh, Nate's a dude, man. And and I, I'll be honest with you, at this point in the season, there's not anybody I want out there with the ball in his hands more than Nate. And that's no disrespect to anybody else, but Nate is a guy that's – I know that Nate's going to go out there and compete. I know that Nate's going to pound the strikes on. And uh, give Ole Miss some credit. They got to him a little bit. They did. And Nate will be better for this. He will be. All right, so the pinch hitter Kramer singles to right field to open up. And you think, oh, here we go. Well, then, she, you know, Paige Chatagnier uh, fouls out. And then McCants grounds into a double play. And that's easier said than done. McCants really, really fast. We're able to get out of there. So, Nate, again, you think, okay, here we go. We give up the single, but then we get a foul out and double play. We're three outs away from evening up the series. Bottom of eight. You think, man, an insurance run sure would feel good. Jordan grounds out the second. Hancock then grounds out the short. Slate with a single back up the box. And then they walk Kelvin Clark on four pitches. So that's it for Braden Jones. So now all of a sudden, time runs in scoring position. Go ahead, runs at first. Ross Highfield comes up, and he's going to face Mason Nichols. They're able to get Ross to strike out. Ross was struggling to pick up that change. And, and listen, Ross is going to be a dude. Dude, that guy's going to be probably second or third round draft pick someday if he's not a first rounder someday. But you know, this is he's going to be a dude for us. But uh, pitch recognition is just something. And even for a catcher, it, it, it's a, there's a developmental phase. He's going to be fine. All right, top of nine, Grofton doubles to left center. And I thought when it happened, I said, you know, it wouldn't be Nate in the ninth without a double. It seems like it happens more times than not, and he gets able to get out of it. Sometimes he doesn't. But it's back-to-back doubles. Gonzalez doubles to right field. And to be honest with you, that's the last guy you want to see in that situation. Gonzalez, you know, just like the deal last year in Oxford, you know, he hits that home run off Pico, that two-run shot to force extra innings. I mean, late in ball games, Gonzalez is a guy that shines bright. I'm going to give him credit. I'm not going to sit here and gush over the guy, but I'm going to give the devil his due. Harrison flies out to left, which chases Gonzalez to third. We walk Alderman and set up a double play. And then Calarco singles down the first baseline. Alderman goes to second, Gonzalez scores. Now it's a 7-6 game. Not only is the game tied, we have surrendered the lead here in the ninth. And like all of you, I'm thinking, here we go. How bad is this going to suck? Alderman then strikes out swinging. And uh, I hated it for Nate. I I really did. I hated it for Nate because I know how bad he wants the baseball. And um, fortunately, his teammates picked him up here in the bottom of the ninth. Amani Larry opens with a walk. And you, you know how it is in baseball, whether you're – no matter which team you're on, it, and this game is you know kind of evidence of that, that contention. When the leadoff guy gets on in a one-run ball game, he always scores. I mean, it's like 677,000% of the time, especially when you walk him. When you go out there and walk the leadoff guy, what you're really telling me is you're scared to pitch. When you've got a lead, you've got to go out there and challenge hitters because it always has this cascading effect. When you get the first guy out, then all of a sudden the pressure shifts to the second guy. Oh, I got to get out. I got to get on base. Got to get on base. And so this is a different situation where you, you've, you've flipped the script and put the pressure on them. Now all of a sudden the time runs on first. Well, then all of a sudden I got to be careful because I can't afford to throw a wild pitch and let the guy go to second and get in a scoring position with nobody out because then they get three shots to get him in. So you, the ninth's all about pressure. It's about who navigates and controls the pressure. All right, Mershon then gets a sack bunt down, pushes Larry to second. So sure enough, we get the scoring, the tying run to second with less than two outs. 
And called Ledbetter, a graded bat here. He gets down 0-2 and works and works and works. And what do you know? Um, and I know I'm mispronounced this, but uh, I guess it's Tukayan. You need a pronunciation chart for sure. Uh, Ledbetter walks. Now, all of a sudden, first and second. But you're thinking, hey, you know, hey, the time runs a second. But the way that they run this shift, and sometimes Hunter has, a, has the ability at times to grind into double plays. He hits a lot of balls hard to the right side. They're one pitch away, and I'm sure it's what they were telling themselves. We're one pitch away from getting out of this. And what do you know? It's a wild pitch during the at-bat. Allows both runners to move up. So now the tying and scoring run, the tying and winning run are on base in scoring position with less than two outs, and you've got your three and four hole hitters up. you got to be able to come through right here, right? Well, they end up walking Hunter Hines to load the bases. So now all of a sudden it's a force at any base, and while it's great to have that guy on there, I'd rather have second and third where there's no forces except for first. But the reality of it is DJ comes up, the same young man that was the last hitter on Friday is the last hitter on Saturday, and he muscles one through the left side, two RBIs, two-run score, and ironically it's Colton Ledbetter who scores a winning run after the great game that he had. And uh, DJ got all the headlines, but we don't, we're not even in that position without Colton Ledbetter. It's a team game. It is, and in no way am I trying to diminish uh, the fact that DJ Starr is on the rise. I think, I think his biggest fans are probably the guys in the dugout with him. But what a huge, huge moment of redemption for him. And, uh, again, it's, it, it's the collapse of the Ole Miss bullpen here too. I mean, when, when you walk three guys in the ninth, you're going to lose. It's a one-run ball game. They walk Larry, they walk Ledbetter, they walk Hines. People think it only happens to us. It doesn't. You walk three guys in the ninth in a one-run ball game, you are going to lose. Period. I don't care who you are, where you're from, who your coach was, how well you recruited. That's just baseball one-on-one. You can't get out there and walk guys in the ninth. All right, Xavier Rivas uh, gets a no decision for Ole Miss, but five and a third innings pitch. We get, got him for four runs on four hits, five Ks, the, the one walk. He is a guy that will walk you. They only, Ole Miss pitch only walked five in a ball game. We only walked two. How about that? Landon Garman goes four, Graham Eintema goes two, Aaron Nixon goes one, and that was very important on Sunday. And Nate Dome is credited with the win despite the fact he had the blown save, so I guess that kind of makes up for that VMI deal, right? When he pitched his tail off and got saddled with a loss, really wasn't his fault. It's an unfortunate part of baseball scoring. So, Nate, I think you're off the hook now. I think, okay, VMI, maybe you didn't deserve that loss. You got it. And maybe in your mind you didn't deserve this win, but I tell you this, Nate, uh, the pitch you made to get us out of that when we were in the soup, right? We're sitting there trying to navigate through all that in the ninth, and you get out of mark and strike out swinging. It's crazy, man. If if you don't, if Nate doesn't make that pitch, the inning extends, and it's probably not a seven-six ball game on Saturday. Those are little things in baseball sometimes that people forget. Part of the deal, man. And give Ole Miss some credit. Three hits in the inning. I mean, hey, you expect to score when that's the case. And so they do. But if Nate doesn't get Uttermark to strike out, then next thing you know, the bases are loaded. Anything could happen. All right, so we win the ball game. Your heroes that day, obviously, uh, you know, DJ Colton. But uh, looking up down the order here, Marshawn one for four, Ledbetter two for four with three ribbies. Hunter Hines one for four, Dakota Jordan two for five. Hancock goes 0 for two with a walk. Uh, Slate offered two for four in the ball game. Kellum Clark one for three. And uh, again, Bulldog bullpen does a decent job here, and did an incredible job on uh, on Sunday. 
So let's get into the decisive game three. I, I don't know about you. I felt good going to the ballpark. And uh, one of the reasons why, and I made this comment to a few people yesterday, I'd rather lose the way we did on Friday than lose the way they did on Saturday. Now, loss is a loss, right? But when you think about the mental aspect of things, that Friday game, we were basically chasing the game, right? We never had the lead on Friday. Never. And all of a sudden, you know, you give up that insurance run in the top half of the ninth, and all of a sudden, now instead of being one swing can tie the game, now you got to get at least two hits. So the pressure shifts to us in the ninth and give Ole Miss credit. They made the place to win the game. But you almost go into the ninth down two. You know, you're hoping to win. You're not expecting to win. You get into Saturday and you're Ole Miss and you rally and you take that lead in the ninth and you think, hey, we're fixing to take this series. And I don't know if you've done the math, but I have. Ole Miss, the only team in the Southeastern Conference not to have a winning weekend in SEC play this year. So you know that was probably riding on their shoulders a little bit. And in state, Yanks defeat, Yanks victory from the Jaws of defeat, pardon me. Those are the kinds of games that stay with you if you lose them. They stay with you if you win them. It gives you confidence that, you know what, we're never out of the game. And if you're all mess, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of here we go again. All right, game three. And we've got Gerangelo Sanji on the mound. His best SEC start to date. He has struggled a little bit as of late. I mentioned on the show. He struggled against left-handers trying to throw right-handed. He switches back to lefty-lefty in this ballgame, and it made a difference. You get Groff to strike out swinging. Gonzalez doubles to center, but uh, nothing doing there. Harris pops up to third. Alderman lines out to left. So State navigates through that with, you know, nothing. The, uh, the one-out double doesn't come back to hurt us. Mershon singles to left center. Ledbetter, Led, Mershon also starting at short in place of Lane Forsyth. Ledbetter grounds out to second. But there is only play is the first. Hines walks, and then DJ grounds into a double play. You're not going to read that very often or hear that, that Jordan grounds into a double play. This ball was hit really hard. And uh, nice play there at Ledge at third, and uh, they make a good play. All right, uh, Calarco opens up a second for Ole Miss, lines out the second. Ledge then singles up the middle. Furnace grounds out the first unassisted. And then Chatney strikes out swinging. Bottom of third, bottom of two, excuse me. Uh, Hancock strikes out swinging for State. Offered pops up to center, and then Kellum Clark singles to center field. Amani, who was hitting eighth back in the starting lineup, flies out to center. And Amani's slumping a little bit. All right, top of third. McCants strikes out swinging. Groff grounds out to second. We walk Gonzalez after a lengthy bat, and then Harris strikes out looking. Harris, good game on Friday, not so much the rest of the weekend. All right, bottom of third, Heifel, singles through the left side, and then still second. Uh, not many catchers in the country are a stolen base threat. Yours is. Mershon grounds out the short. Heifel has to hold. Let better than walks. Hines flies out the center. Both runners tag in advance. Now we just need a base hit here, you know, with, uh, you know, make some things happen with two outs. A little two-out rally. And instead, DJ's like, I got you. 2-1 count. He hammers that ball to right center, and that ball was out easily. Hancock then walks, offered grounds out, but State now up 3-0, and it just felt like the way that Gerangelo was pitching and the fact that the bullpen had been good all weekend, it appeared we had a good week, a good game plan against them. You know three is probably not enough, but you felt pretty good that you had some margin here. 
Our top of fourth, Alderman grounds out to the pitcher. Calarco strikes out swinging, and then Ledge flies out to center. And again, we talk about the nuance of baseball. You go up there and put up a crooked number. You got to go out there and put up post a zero on them, and we do. Very, very quick inning. Bottom of four, we go one, two, three. Clark uh, grounds out to second. Larry grounds out to third, and Heifel strikes out swinging. Top of five, Furnace grounds out to, for Ole Miss to first. Uh, Chaudnier walks, which is a shame. Just, I mean, just pound his own. McCanson flies out to right center, and then Groff strikes out swinging uh, to get out of it. So the walk doesn't hurt us. Our bottom of five, we go one, two, three. Well, we don't go one, two, three. We, they face the minimum here. Machine strikes out swinging. Ledbetter walks after a lengthy bat, and then Hines grounds in a double play. So the inning is over. Top of six, we walk out there and we walk Gonzalez. We get Harris to strike out swinging. Alderman then doubles to left center off the wall there. And then Calarco grounds out to second, chases the run home. It's 3-1. We bring in KC Hunt. We may have extended Gerangelo a little bit here, but again, the way that I look at it too, the pitch count was fine, and uh, he had not allowed a hit uh, since back in the third inning. Excuse me, second inning. Yeah, he had not allowed a hit since the second inning. And so I think, you know, maybe you've he's earned the right with a little bit of margin here. But I would have pulled him after the double, after the double to left center. That ball was crushed. Alderman just got too much topspin on it. That's the only thing that kept that thing in the yard. The ball was hammered. I would have went and got him then. Uh, Calarco, of course, grounds out and scores a run there. But uh, we bring in KC, so we immediately we walk Ledge, and then we get Furnace to ground out. So we get through that, navigate through that, and only give up the one run, and you feel like that's a win. Bottom of six, you'd like to answer back. We're unable to, even though we do get a little traffic on the bases. Jordan grounds out to third. Hancock flies out to center. And then Alford walks. They bring in uh, Ketchum to pitch for Quinn. And Quinn, listen, Quinn, outstanding. I thought the young man has a tremendous amount of poise. And even when we tried to press him a little bit, he was able to respond. Got a bright future in college baseball. Uh, Clark walks on four pitches. And uh, Ketchum, of course, uh, from Heritage, uh, local kid too. And, but Larry flies out the right field. So we, we have the two two-out walks. We don't make them pay for that. Top of seven, Hunt walks Chaudnier, and then McCant strikes out swinging. Grofton singles to left. Chaudnier chases around a third. There's a wild pitch. The run scores. Gonzalez in singles to shortstop. Groff takes third. And then Harris walks. Our base is loaded here, and we got to face Kip Alderman. Biggest power threat in the lineup. Single to third base, and I tell you, here's again the nuance of baseball. I know we don't make the play here, okay? Slade knocks it down. We're unable to, to complete the play here. If Slade doesn't get a glove on this, two runs are going to score at a minimum. Depending how far that ball chases in the corner, and DJ's on it pretty quick. It might even be a bigger inning. But Slade knocks it down. Keeps the ball in the infield, only one run scores. And then Calarco grounds into a double play. And I, so I wanted to mention that. I know Slate has been, you know, much maligned at times defensively, and rightfully so, okay? But if he doesn't knock this ball down, it's a bigger inning, and the double play is no longer in order for the next at bat. So kind of the game within the game, Slate made a play right there that really made a difference. All right, bottom of seven. It's a tie game, 3-3. Heifel grounds out the short. Mershon lengthy at bat here. It gets the walk. They decided to bring in Jackson Kimbrell. Mershon ends up taking second. Now, I uh, 
I turned to Robbie Falk and Mike Nemeth in the press box, and I said, there is no way Jackson Kimbrell is going to get both Ledbetter and Hines. One of them will get him. You can ask them. It wasn't Colton Ledbetter. I mean, it was slaughter after slaughter after slaughter. We strike out swinging on ball four. And then Hunter Hines comes up and decides, you know what, I'm going to set slider. He gets a slider and he parks it over the right field wall for two-run shot, makes it 5-3. They bring in uh, Morrell in place of Kimbrell. Guys, I'm just going to tell you this. I hadn't watched a lot of Ole Miss baseball this year, but uh, when you're the lefty-lefty guy and you get hammered like that and you can't spot up your breaking ball for a strike, you don't get to be the lefty-lefty guy. You get to be the clipboard guy. You get to be the guy charting pitches. You get to be the add-a-baby guy. That's who you get to be. Jordan singles up the middle to greet Morrell, and then Hancock grounds out the first. It's a 5-3 ball game now going to the eighth. Ledge flies out to uh, left. Furnace strikes out swinging. They pinch hit for Chatney, which that's a tough situation there, right? I mean, you're a, you're a, a postgraduate doctor, doctoral candidate with, with a 13-year senior, and they pinch hitting for you in a big moment. That's tough. All right, and Kramer doesn't come through. He flies out on 0-2 count. All right, bottom of eight. State goes one, two, three, and of course, uh, I, I was probably didn't mention this earlier, but uh, Nixon dealing, dealing, dealing. Bottom of eight, offer grounds out to short. Clark flies out to center. Larry and strikes out swinging. Top of nine, you get McCants to ground out to first. Groff flies out to right. Gonzalez lines out to third. And I, I thought there's no way Gonzalez in this ball game. They'll find a way to get him on there. We'll have to navigate through this thing with some drama. Aaron Nixon, really the story of this game late. Really a great job here. And you think about what a weapon it is having Nate and Nixon. All of a sudden, you got some more bullets in the gun. You do. You got a lot more to work with here. And so let's go back and look at the pitching. Uh, Gerangelo went four scoreless. That's never happened in his career. Usually it's the third. And he went three scoreless against South Carolina. They got to him in the fourth. He goes four scoreless. Five and two-thirds of an inning pitch, three hits, the one run, seven punches, three walks, 98 pitches. Casey comes in, goes two-thirds of an inning, two hits, two runs, and three walks. And that, that listen, Casey's got to be a better fireman than that. You can't come out there and walk people. And that really let Ole Miss get back in the ballgame. But Aaron Nixon comes in and goes two and two-thirds of an inning, allows one hit. And that was the infield hit that Slade knocks down. That's it. He goes out there and 30 pitches. Get, basically gets three innings and in, in 10 pitches apiece. One strikeout, four flyouts, two ground outs. Basically all soft contact with the exception of that hot shot to third that Slate jumped on. But one hit. And I don't know if you just kind of quietly here. You know, it's like we talk about Nixon not being around much. I don't know that people have appreciated, even in limited action, how dominant he has been. This is why you went and signed him, right? He was a former All-American freshman at Texas. And so you're thinking, okay, I, I got to go get this guy, all right? And then we do, and, and people are trying to t- tell us, oh, he's off the trash heap of college baseball. They blame him for the failures of their old pitching coach. So here it is, eight appearances now. He has an ERA of 0.84, 10.2 innings pitch. He's allowed three hits. 
in eight appearances, two runs, one of them unearned. So he's allowed one earned run and struck out 13 and walked three. He's allowed one extra base hit. I mean, let that sink in for a second. And, of course, he had the six hit by pitches when he's coming back. Now, all of a sudden, he's back. You don't think that's a big piece for this bullpen? You got a former All-American freshman closer. Now, Nate can be the long reliever or can close on the other days. All of a sudden, you can move Nate around as much as you need to, and you don't have to overstress Nate. This is huge for State. And there were so many people in Texas that said, oh, I'm glad to see him leave. I, you know what? I'm glad to see him show up. Aaron Nixon is a dude. And Aaron Nixon rounding back in the form is huge for Mississippi State. So, of course, the Bulldogs take the series, two games to one. And uh, some dramatic moments. And this will be a Super Bulldog weekend we'll never forget. I think we'll all agree with that. This will be one we never forget. Not just because of the attendance records, but because, number one, it extended to streak too, but these were three great ball games. And again, I don't care who you cheer for. This was a nice weekend of baseball. And every game went down to the final pitch. Every single game. And uh, I tell you, you start looking at the uh, – and we'll look at them in a little bit. But you start wondering now, if you're Ole Miss, is there a path? I'm beginning to think no. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Many of you have dreamed of owning a home, but perhaps that dream has been elusive. Blair's the guy that can help you make that dream come true. Top 1% close ratio in the country, back to back to back like Ledbetter, Hines, and Jordan, right? He's a closer, like Aaron Nixon, Nate Dome. Uh, Blair is my friend. He's your friend. And uh, Blair was on campus this weekend, of course, celebrating Super Bulldog weekend, just like the rest of you. But what pays the bills, what buys the season tickets, what pays for the place in Starkville is a successful mortgage origination career. 22 years of experience in the industry, that's the guy. If you're looking to refi, if you're looking to consolidate some debt, if you're looking to purchase a home, look no further than close at Blair.com. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value you don't have to come out of pocket for. It's a great, great thing. All right, today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseofBlair.com. Roy had a great idea. I said, hey, let's do uh, covers better than the original. I think we may have done this again, but uh, you guys love covers. I do, too. I do, too. And I'm pretty happy with the list. Now, I, uh, I lean on the wife sometimes because she is also a music enthusiast like me and said, hey, what do you think? Well, she offered a couple of suggestions, and uh, one of hers is number four one of our favorite bands of all time. I got a chance to take her to the Ryman to see them perform live here a couple of years ago for Valentine's Day because I am that dude. I like the big moments in life. I do. She also mentioned, she goes, I know it's sacrilegious, so we're going to give this an honorable mention. She said, I know it's sacrilegious, but I love Tool's cover of Led Zeppelin's No Quarter, and she is right. It's outstanding. I didn't put it on the list because I don't know that I agree that it is better than the original but I wanted to give those guys a mention. Also, one of my favorite bands and my friends in Lillian Axe, they covered The Girl. It's a band called Girl that had Phil Cowan, who eventually became the guitar player in Def Leppard. 
And uh, Phil from L.A. Guns had a band called Girl. They did a song called My Number. And Lillian Axe covered that on um, Love and War. Also on Poetic Justice, they redid uh, Bad Fingers no matter what. So tip of the cap to my friends in Lillian Axe. But here we go, your top ten. Number ten, one of the most emotional songs of my lifetime. And I think part of it's because we lost Jeff Buckley to alcoholism. It's Jeff Buckley's version of Leonard Cohen's classic, Hallelujah. Number 10, Jeff Buckley. Young people, if you are not familiar with the Jeff Buckley story, let me encourage you to familiarize yourself. Jeff Buckley, a very talented musician who had some demons, like many of our most talented artists, and had a tough time coming to grips with those, and eventually drowned himself in the Mississippi River. But hallelujah. God rest his soul, Jeff Buckley. Number nine, I didn't really like the song. I didn't really like the fact that she had bald hair. I didn't like a lot of her politics, but there's no denying her talent. It's Sinead O'Connor, very controversial figure, burst onto the scene by covering a Prince track, Nothing Compares to You. And if you've not heard the Prince version, that I'd encourage you to listen to that too. But Sinead O'Connor, number nine on your list. Number eight, there are times in my life I can convince myself this should probably be higher on the list. We actually discussed this band on Press Row a couple days ago. Mike Nemeth and I. I am Mike's hard rock sponsor. I'm trying to bring him along. Mike, a big Wolfmother fan. How about that? I even bought Mike a Wolfmother shirt last year. We had the dressing ceremony right there on the row. But it's White Lion's version of Radar Love. And I love the drum solo and the guitar solo on this. This song absolutely rocks. I love the original Golden Earring version, even though it's not my favorite Golden Earring song. Twilight Zone off the Miami Vice soundtrack is. But White Lion's version of Radar Love absolutely rips. The video is incredible, too. Number seven, most people don't realize this is a cover and would probably argue it should be higher on the list. And maybe it's because there's some acrimony in my heart about this and so many people are not giving Otis Redding the credit for this. But it's Respect from Aretha Franklin. One of the greatest songs of all time is actually a cover. And most people don't know that. Otis Redding originally wrote and recorded this song. Much different point of view uh, from Aretha Franklin. An incredible song. So tip of the cap to the queen, Aretha Franklin, for respect. Number six, a lot of people don't know this is a cover either. And that's okay. That's what the show is here to educate, right, and inform. Led Zeppelin covered the John Baez song, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. And did an incredible job of that. And I think, it's not even, I think it's not even close when it comes to the Led Zeppelin version being better than Joan Baez. Joan Baez is an incredible singer-songwriter. But Led Zeppelin, their version, clearly superior. Number five, and this is another one that I don't even think it's close. It's a cakewalk. This is an easy decision here. It's Manfred Mann's version of Bruce Springsteen's Blinded by the Light. And people wonder what, like, wrapped up by, by Deuce? That's about a car. Just so you know, Manfred Mann, an incredible version of Blinded by the Light. Number four, and this is uh, Dana's contribution to the list, it's Tesla Signs. What, what an obvious pick. And uh, originally recorded by the five-man electrical band, and so when Tesla recorded their acoustic album, uh, they named it the five-man uh, acoustical jam. Incredible. So paying some homage, they didn't write that song, but they made it a huge hit. And that's the song really that pushed Tesla from opener to headliner. I love Tesla. I love every album in the catalog. 
Uh, loved the new stuff, too. Had a chance to meet Jeff Keith and, and uh, Tommy Skietch. Of course, Tommy's no longer with the band. I actually met Tommy uh, for the second time, I guess the first time in Mexico, of all places. Yeah. But Tesla signs number four on your list. Number three, I loved the Wings version of this, but Guns N' Roses was the perfect band to cover the song, and it's Live and Let Die slash one of his shining moments and it, again it's a cover song and and guns did an album of covers called the spaghetti Eds, and a lot of those songs were uh kind of obscure punk rock songs and things like that uh, my favorite song on that album is black leather incredible but live and let die that's off use your illusion uh one number two dave murray believes this is the best cover of all time i disagree which is why it's second on my list but it's hard to argue against it to be honest with you it's Janis Joplin's version of the Chris Christopherson song, Me and Bobby McGee. Me and my Bobby McGee. What an incredible song. You know, Busted Flat and Baton Rouge, man. We've been there, right? Janis Joplin, another one that was taken far too soon. An incredible talent. Number one, another member of that 26 Club. In my estimation, the greatest cover song of all time. Not just for today, but all time. It's Jimi Hendrix covering the Bob Dylan song all along the Watchtower. An incredible song. I like the fact it's a little more up-tempo, a little more in your face, but all along the Watchtower from Jimi Hendrix, number one. In my estimation, the greatest cover song of all time. That's your top ten. And I love talking covers. And I could do weeks and weeks and weeks of shows about covers. And you guys respond. You always seem to like covers. But I, in my estimation, all 10 of these covers are better than the original. And I, don't th- I really don't think it's close. I think every one of them you look at and you say, you know what? These hold up. A lot of bands these days doing covers. A lot of people doing some changes. You know, Zeppelin's done a few. You know, Traveling Riverside Blues is... Um, is inspired by Robert Johnson's song. It's not necessarily a cover. That's another one, too. Probably one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. But uh, the guys, Led Zeppelin, in my estimation, the greatest rock band of all time. And even they themselves did some covers. A lot of people think they're too cool for covers, and that's not the case. Top 10 covers that are better than the original. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to find Roy on social media is on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can get our great list. Just subscribe to Roy's channel on Spotify. It's free. Just follow Roy. And then you can find me on all forms of social media at ScoutSteveR. We're more than happy to do your list. And uh, today, I wanted to throw Roy a bone. Roy's got another one coming up in May, too. I'm going to let uh, Roy pick the artist, and then I'm going to pick the arrangement. Because, you know, we honor everything these days. Like, every day is like International Pancakes Day or whatever. International Fork Day. International Dude Day. I mean, there's always something. You know, today we're celebrating this. And it's like it's every, it's International Daughters Day like 13 times a year. Like International Sons Day like a half dozen times a year. It's always something. We're always doing, it's Worldwide Baseball Card Day. I mean, there's always something. But we're going to celebrate something uh, about Roy and his heritage next month. In uh, his month of May, we've had some fun discussions about that. So if we need to celebrate something for you, whether it be, you know, I don't know if it's international, like uh, Daughters of Farmers Day, whatever they come up, there's always, it's always a new holiday. Hit us up. And if we find your idea interesting, we'll do it. 
Next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Go by and see them. We were in there last week. My wife and I went by to see uh, Miss Susie, Miss Kathy Brown. They didn't stay real long. Just went to kind of say hello. Miss Pam Minyard wasn't there. We actually saw her at the baseball game a little bit later. But uh, I love going in there because it's like going to Cheers, man. You go in there and everybody knows your name. They're always happy to see you. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a look around the league here and kind of see how the weekend went for us. Uh, Vanderbilt takes the series from South Carolina, but uh, give the Gamecocks some credit. They hung in there and competed, had a chance to take a series in Nashville. And again, Vanderbilt's a team that's better than I expect them to be. I picked them third in the West East this year. Probably could have been talked about taking them fourth, but they're good. They're the top team in the Southeastern Conference right now. 28-7 overall, 12-2 in the league. Uh, basically, to got two more wins than the next closest team in the league, regardless of division. South Carolina now 10-3. They've come back down to earth a little bit, but these guys, another team that I probably underestimated. I wasn't sold on them, but they're 30-5. and five. How can you, you knock it? And had they taken that series against Vanderbilt, I don't know that you, they wouldn't have got some first-place votes. Florida. Two out of three winners against Georgia. Now 10-4 and four in the conference, 29-7 and seven overall. Kentucky, our friends at Kentucky came a swing away from taking a series at LSU. They get shelled on Thursday, and everybody's like, ah, Steve, look at this, ha, 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 ha. And then Kentucky comes back and overcomes a four-run deficit to win on Saturday, and then they, they barely get the game in, excuse me, on Friday. And due to some weather, they had some uh, delayed start, and then LSU wins at 7-6 in game three. So Kentucky, I think in many respects, legitimized themselves in the eyes of many people. 10-5 and five in the conference now, and then 28-7 um, overall. And I've said it countless times now. Guys, they're four wins away from clinching a spot in the regional. And I think they're going to win more than four games. Uh, you win six, you're, you're in the hosting discussion. Tennessee. What in the world has happened to Tennessee? What has happened to Tennessee. They returned a lot of dudes this year. A lot of people thought they were going to be outstanding. Had them as a shoe-in for Omaha. That's just not going to happen. They, they may make it, but it won't be because they're a shoe-in. Not looking good for Tennessee at all. And uh, you run the numbers here. All right, so they get swept over the weekend. That's what's amazing to me. And uh, the games were somewhat competitive, but Arkansas, 5-2, 6-3, and 7-2 winners. And, our, and Tennessee has been pretty good on Sundays this year. But they're 5-10 and ten in, five and ten now in the Southeastern Conference. 5-10. and ten. That's the same record as your Bulldogs. They were picked first in the East. We were picked last in the West. And here we are at the midway point with the same identical SEC record. We play them in two weeks. I'll be there. Before we do, Tennessee has to travel, excuse me, Tennessee hosts Vanderbilt. Arguably the best team in the country. 
And you got to feel like Tennessee's probably going to lose that series. And this is a, you know, a stick your foot in the ground and figure it out weekend for Tony. But I think the weight of all this stuff, I think, you know, the, the tampering allegations, the suspension, the taking the fur jackets away, kind of making Tennessee not be Tennessee, kind of taking all that. I think all that's weight on them. Not to mention you were the number one team in a tournament last year and you get upset in the Super Regionals, you don't get to go to Omaha. I think that's a big part of things. I think Vanderbilt's going to take that series. And so then all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, then all of a sudden we're 6-12. and 12, and Mississippi State's coming in with some heat. And that was a series we were thinking we'd be lucky to get a game. Now you start thinking you might be able to take it. If we can go up there and throw strikes, you might be able to go win that series. Not to mention the fact, too, that they're going to, especially if they get shelled by Vanderbilt, what's a fan supporter going to be like? That's not a huge stadium. So the home field advantage may not be what it was a year ago. You know, they were packing that place out. We may have more Bulldogs in Knoxville than there are volunteers if they get swept. Then they go to Georgia, and then they get to Kentucky, and then they're out South Carolina. So you start counting here and say, okay, right now, Vanderbilt, that's a series you expect Vanderbilt to win. Okay, let's say, okay, well, Tennessee may be able to get Mississippi State. It's a toss-up. You go to Georgia, you think, okay, you should be able to win down there. The Kentucky series is a toss-up, and you go to South Carolina. You start counting wins there, they're few and far between. Tennessee's got to get it going. No question about it. Missouri 5-10, and 10, of course, that loud series win at the beginning of the year. They sweep Tennessee. They've won two SEC games since then. And again, I begin to ask myself, is this the end of Beezer Ball in Columbia? I don't know how much they care about baseball up there. But they got off to that big start, and things have not gone well since then. They take Tennessee, then they get swept by South Carolina. They get swept by Kentucky. They do get one from Vanderbilt, their first win against the Commodore since 19. And then they lose two out of three to, at A&M. They get A&M on Sunday. Missouri will, will host Alabama, then travel to Florida, then host Ole Miss, then host Georgia, and they're at Auburn. So it's a manageable May, and maybe you can make a run at Hoover. Maybe. And Georgia, now 4-10 and 10 in the conference. If the, NCAA, if the SEC tournament started today, Ole Miss and Georgia are out. Did you know that? Ole Miss and Georgia wouldn't make the tournament. Missouri would. But the tournament doesn't start today. And you start looking at this Georgia thing, too. I love Scott Strickland as a coach, but, man, they have had some difficulty putting together offensive numbers in his career there. Pitching's always been elite. And, of course, you know, they lose the series to Florida. The middle game was a 2-1 ball game. That Georgia had a 1-0 lead and they got away late. This weekend, they'll start on Thursday. They'll host Arkansas. Then they travel to Ole Miss. Then they get Tennessee, Missouri, and LSU. And you start looking to count wins there. Would you expect Georgia to win any of those series? No. You start wondering about the Ole Miss series, you know, because Ole Miss doesn't have a lot of depth in the order. And if Georgia can go out there and pitch it well, the way that Ole Miss bullpen works, maybe Georgia can get the series. But, uh, you know, Georgia at Missouri will be awfully interesting too. But you start thinking about this with Georgia. How is Georgia ever bad at baseball? With the recruiting footprint they have, and that's a question I guess they got to ask themselves. Guys, they have the worst record in the league, 19-17 and 17 overall. It's terrible. 
I think Strickland might be in some trouble. All right, we get to the SEC West here. Your front-running SEC West team is Arkansas. LSU ranked number one in the country, and it's Arkansas ahead in the West. LSU not even number one in the West. Of course, LSU takes that big series from Arkansas earlier, and you're like, oh, they had the tiebreaker. Well, then LSU doesn't finish the game on Sunday against South Carolina, a game that I, I suspect they would have lost. And Arkansas sweeps Tennessee, and now all of a sudden they've got uh, you know, they're a couple games up in the win column over LSU. And the fact that LSU, unless Arkansas drops a game somewhere to weather, there will not be a tie because Arkansas is going to be a half game up. And LSU, I'm telling you, LSU is not built for a Super Regional. They're just not. They don't have enough pitching. You know, they go out and get Paul Skeens, and I think, listen, you look at the numbers, say, Steve, are 29-6. and six. I'm not hating on them, but these SEC weekends, you're beginning to see some things exposed, some injuries are starting to catch up with this pitching staff, and you begin to wonder when they face somebody that actually has, you know, two-and-a-half good starters, what are they going to do? If, if somebody can navigate through the Paul Skeens experiment, because that guy's phenomenal, if you can get through that on Friday and maybe get them out of the ball game and get their bullpen a little bit, you got a chance. A&M now 7-8, and eight, and you think that third in the West with a losing record. a and schedule has not been very challenging, but it's about to be. And I look at his A&M numbers here, too. And, again, we get them to close out the regular season for us. But A&M kind of quietly going throughout their business here, and a lot of people picked them as a dark horse in Omaha. I did not. I know they were the sexy pick. They're a veteran team, and sometimes that's not a good thing. Of course, they, uh, they lose a series two games to one to LSU. They get swept by Tennessee. They uh, take two out of three from Ole Miss, but everybody has. They take two out of three from Auburn, at Auburn, and they were a swing away from sweeping. They take two out of three from Missouri. They get shelled in that Sunday game. Now, this weekend, they'll be at Kentucky. That's going to be interesting right there. That's a series Kentucky needs to win. And then they're at Arkansas. That's a series they won't win. Then they host Florida. That's a series I don't think they win. And then it's Alabama and Mississippi State. And so you start counting series for A&M, and you realize, you know, if State can get hot and stay hot, we got a chance to surpass them in the standings, especially since we close with them. I think A&M is a regional team, but I don't think they're a better team than Mississippi State. And we'll find out when we get there, right? Alabama, of course, uh, they win the series this weekend over Auburn. It's interesting to see how things are playing out for the Alabama schools. I mean, it really is. I mean, let's be honest about it. You know, Butch done a great job at Auburn. Been to Omaha twice. But they're never really challenging for anything serious in a regular season. It's like they're getting ready for postseason. All they got to do is get in, right? And Butch has got the formula, right? But uh, Alabama takes two of three from Auburn. Uh, they lose the Friday night game 8-4 and then went 4-2 and 6-1. to And then uh, Alabama will be at Missouri, at LSU, then Vanderbilt, A&M Ole Miss. And you start counting series here, there's five left, and you think Alabama could be a factor in three of those five. They could get Missouri, they could get A&M, and they could certainly get Ole Miss at home because there's no telling what, what Ole Miss is going to look like by the time they get there. That's always interesting to me. We, we, we forget about the fact that it is a long season. And, of course, uh, we'll preview Auburn this weekend. A state uh, 
heads down there Friday. I'll probably record the show Thursday night uh, so I can have Friday to myself. And, and we got It's not a long drive over there, but I like to get over there and get checked in and, and go have a nice meal. Got a lot of friends over at Auburn, too. So Auburn, of course, uh, they lose the opening. They get swept by Arkansas. They take two out of three from Georgia, which was big. They ran out of pitching and got shelled in, on Sunday. Uh, they, they, they lose two out of three at Florida. They, they, they blasted them on Friday. Lose two out of three to A&M. And, um, and they lose two out of three to Alabama. So one series win on the year, and that's against Georgia. And so then we get them this weekend. And then they go to South Carolina. They host LSU. They're at Ole Miss. They're at Missouri. And so you look at the backside of Meg, and if you're Auburn, you're thinking, hey, we just got to hang in here and avoid getting swept. And, and let's see if we can get Mississippi State. Let's see if we can get Ole Miss and get Missouri. All of a sudden, you know, we're back in this discussion here. Certainly a regional team. I like this Auburn team, but they are, they are not a great offense. They're not a team that's going to score a ton of runs. And so if we go over there and pitch it well, we got a real chance. Let's see here real quick. We, we've talked ad nauseum about us, but uh, the Ole Miss thing here, we talked over the week, last week, about, you know, their schedule. You're 3-12 and 12 now with 15 to play. And now you start thinking, okay, you're already well over double digits, and you've got LSU this weekend. All right, Ole Miss not winning that series against LSU. Be shocked if they do. So all of a sudden, that's two more losses. Let's say you get one, right? Now you're 3-12. and 12, Now all of a sudden, that makes you 4-14. and 14. Then you get Georgia coming in, right? Let's say you take that series. It's a couple there. You got to go to Missouri. It's tough to win on the road in the SEC. But the chances of them sweeping anybody, not very good. And then Auburn, Alabama, of course, will be playing for a lot to play for. You got to wonder if Ole Miss feels sorry for themselves late in the schedule. But you look at the month of May, you know, the last four series, beginning with that uh, final weekend in April with Georgia, you look at it if you're Ole Miss and say, hey, those are manageable. If we can get through this LSU series and avoid getting swept, maybe we can pick it off here. I just don't see a path, though. I, I just I don't. I just I don't see it because I don't, I don't think there's a way you're going to sweep any of those teams. Just don't see it happening. And, you know, we've, we've gone up there and played Missouri in the spring, you know, when that wind is blowing out. Uh, and maybe that favors Ole Miss left-handed hitters. But uh, I think Ole Miss has a chance to have a decent May. I'd love to trade schedules with them. But I think that we're beginning to see what's kind of shaping up here. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. And maybe you should too. Very easy to find. Turn off 82 on 12 like going to campus. Take the very first right. You pass that road throughout your life and wonder where it went. Well, it's been extended. Used to be a, um, a T right there. They've extended it now. And through that four-way stop, as you cross all West Point Road, is Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And uh, you can have some say in your housing plans and picking out your lot got some autonomy with that. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. To get all the information you need to make Portico your next move. I love the place. I've been by there and checked it out myself. And if I didn't live out in the sticks and I wasn't already so entrenched here, 
I, that's where I'd live. To be 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, can you imagine how nice that'd be, right? Tucked away in a neighborhood, close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy. Be sure to check it out. Make Portico your next move. And the West, best way to get a hold of Brooks is 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. All right, final segment of the show. And uh, we've talked about what everybody else needs to do. You know, you guys know I love college baseball. And uh, we had the spring game. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't get out of here with some spring game talk. I was there for about an hour, and we had to go over to baseball. Of course, uh, Dave Murray, Paul Jones, and I, we had full coverage and, and made that content for free over at jeanspage.com. So if you have not gone and checked it out, you can go do that. Interviews with players, uh, coaches. It's always good stuff. And so the thing that I love to see, and you guys uh, too, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to see it. But it's the fact that uh, we are utilizing Tula Griffin more in the offense. We are doing some things that make sense. We're Tula Griffin. Uh, So seven, I'm trying to find some stats here for you too, but 17 to seven is the final score. And uh, I'm sure I can find these. Just hang on a second here. And uh, we'll go over a couple things. But some of the highlights in this ballgame here. Uh, was it four plays in? We run a little cross-buck action there. Have Tulu lined up there in a the slot. And we pitch it to him, and he takes it to the house. That's a wrinkle that wasn't available in the air raid. And you guys know, listen, I'm a huge Mike Leach guy. It's true. But we didn't, you know, there are a lot of guys that didn't play much and uh that's the win in the spring game right if you can navigate through this put on a little bit of a show give the guys a chance to play um you know in front of the fans but also too it's it's really a chance uh, let's close out this thing and get everybody healthy that's huge i mean how many times have you seen it somebody gets nicked up in a spring game and it lingers into the summer then they're not quite 100 percent when you get to fall camp and we need guys healthy. And, uh, you know, we've had some injuries in recent years during practice that I wouldn't say have derailed our season, but have certainly been a very negative thing. But 17-7 uh, to 7 is your final. Our, our friend Austin Golding, his team, comes up on the short end of the stick. But at the end of the day, Mississippi State won. We, and it's a 43-yard uh, reverse to Tulu there. Pretty outstanding there. Malik Ellis, the freshman on the kickout block there. You can find these cut-ups on Twitter. Will Rogers, 55-yard touchdown pass to Xavier Thomas. And they noted that it went 54 yards in the air. A lot of people talk about, you know, Will not having a big arm. But uh, Coach Arnett and Coach Barbet have mentioned that his pass efficiency on the deeper throws is among the best in the country. We just didn't always have those opportunities. And I think that's the thing now. You know, we're not going to face drop eight. People are going to have to respect us. They're going to have to roll some people down to, to respect this running game. And I think, I think our, our, our guy, Woody Marks, is going to have a big year. That, that's been noted several times on the show. But when people respect that, you're going to see more man coverage. You're going to see a lot more cover, too. You're going to have an opportunity at times to swing the ball down the field. And I think Will's going to benefit from this. There's so many people that have asked me, oh, well, what's Will Rogers going to look like? I think you're going to see an even better version of Will Rogers because he's going to be a little more multiple in what he can do. Xavion Thomas, huge, 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 huge decision getting him back. Getting him back out of the portal 
perhaps that one of the biggest recruiting jobs we've done, keeping him in Tulu. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and that's the thing I think with Xavion too, with his speed, not only does he help you in the return game, but he's also a guy too that was probably underutilized. And I think that's what really led to him, you know, going into the portal is the fact that he just wants the ball in his hands. Simple as that. Wants the ball in his hands. And I certainly he can certainly do it. Xavion had uh, four catches for 75 yards in the ball game. Justin Robinson, three for 61. Tulu, 75 yards, total offense, and only touched the ball four times. I suspect in the season you're going to see 10. I think you got to get the ball in his hands 10 times or more. Uh, kicking game was really good, too. And, of course, there's no rush in the game. But uh, guys were good. And we punted the ball well. Not that we planned to punt a whole lot, but um, pretty impressive. We had two punters, and I think we averaged, what, 42 for one and 45 for the other? Uh, that'll get it done. Absolutely get it done. Uh, Seth Davis, freshman running back, came out there and played it. Honestly, I think – I don't know that Seth Davis was an air raid running back. I do think he could be a Kevin Barbe running back, though, in the offense we want to run now. I think this is better for his career and probably will keep him out of the portal. And I don't say that to be negative about Seth Davis. I think Seth Davis is an explosive player. But with his size, I always worried about him being able to step up and take on a blitzing Mike linebacker in the A-gap on third and twelve. That's just not in his repertoire. I don't think he'll be having to do that in the scheme. Much different dynamic at 49 yards and uh, led all rushers in the game. Uh, John Lewis, outstanding. And Wesley Miller, six tackles for him too. Uh, Calvin Dinkins, you know, he missed some time this spring, but he's back doing a good job. Had a sack. Kamari Rogers had, the, had one pick on the day. But John Lewis looks like a man possessed. He is a guy that has really embraced the weight room, looks completely different than he did maybe even a year ago. But, guys, I'm going to just go on. To, I'm going to give you the hot take right now. Mississippi State is going to have a special year on the football field this year, provided we stay healthy. The schedule is very much in our favor. So I'm going to give you my post-spring prediction for the season, and we'll revisit it later. Guys, we're going to skull drag southeastern Louisiana. We're going to beat Arizona. If it was up to me, I'd make them play us at 9 in the morning. Uh, LSU is going to come in here. That's going to be a toss-up. It is. We're going to South Carolina. I know that's a tough place to play. We're going to go win that game. Alabama is going to come in here. We're going to lose that game. Western Michigan is going to come in. We're going to win that game. We're going to go to Arkansas. We're going to beat them. We're going to go to Auburn. We're going to beat them. We're going to beat Kentucky. We're going to go to College Station, Texas. We're going to beat them. We're going to beat Southern Miss. We're going to beat Ole Miss. So, yeah, I'm calling it. I'll go ahead and say it right now. I think it's a 10-win regular season. I do. I do. That's how I feel today. That's the hot take of the day. I think it's a special year. And uh, it's not just the confidence of seeing the guys in action in the spring game. It's a fact just watching the fact that we're going to be a lot more multiple on offense and we're going to be one of the better defenses in the conference. All right, if you had not done it, go to dogpilotbook.com and you can get all my sports books there with the exception of Stark Villain. Stark Villain's completely sold out through the website. You can find it through stores, Campus Bookmart and Bookmart Cafe have it, as well as probably uh, Lemuria and some others. But uh, those books now in short supply. Alpha Dog's kind of right behind it. I mentioned those books will be going out of print for a while uh, this year. But uh, plenty of dog pile and some flim flam. I say, oh, well, not plenty of flim flam, but some flim flam. And that for some reason, people have been asking me about that book again here as of late. But uh, you can get signed copies of flim flam, dog pile, and alpha dogs direct from the website at dogpilethebook.com. 
Blooms of Oleander available through BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, and Amazon.com. Stark Villains gear always available through StarkVillains.com. And you can come join a party over at JeansPage.com. Uh, having the biggest year we've ever had. I want to thank everybody for their support and uh, in, in every aspect. And there are so many people that come up to me and they say, hey, Steve, thanks for everything you do. Love the work. And I want you guys to know how much I love each and every one of you too. You guys have enabled me and my family to have a great life. And uh, for a poor old boy from South Mississippi that grew up most of his uh, childhood with his grandparents that didn't have much, uh, this means an awful lot to me that you guys have uh, have shared the journey with me. And... Uh, you know, listen, I, I'm, I, I get a lot more than I deserve, I'll be quite honest with you. And uh, I appreciate so much that the uh, relationship that we all have, not just as, you know, listeners and, and readers and things of that nature, but it's Bulldogs. And it's so much easier to get on here and talk about things when we're winning, uh, and it's tough when we're losing. But the reality of it is, is we've won two series in a row, and I suspect that we're going to go win another one this weekend at Auburn, and then we'll see how things go. Look forward to talking to you guys about that. Uh, Bulldogs not playing Tuesday night, so we're not going to do a Tuesday preview. We'll do a Wednesday review on the Wednesday show and kind of start looking ahead at the rest of the SEC weekend. As uh, the spring semester starts winding down, be graduation here sooner rather than later. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.